a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today, today even, today, today, tongue-tied before we even start, but we don't care because the substance of what we've got to talk about is far more deeper and meaningful than just a slip of the top. But we're going to be talking to a lady from Sweden, a lady by the name of Mai B. Bowman. And B, she's affectionately known, is a life coach, a hospice nurse, and the founder and president of Sponsors for Kenya. B, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm very happy to be here. So what we talked about, listeners, uh, off air, B and I, was if I ruled the world, children will be children. Tell us why, good starting point, why did you choose that title, B? Why does that work for you? I see children being children as a universal thing. And if I if I look... In Kenya, for example, where I'm active, children grow up way too fast. They are forced to care for their younger siblings and care for themselves at a very, very young age. And if you look in the Western world, children grow up too fast. Well, too fast, in my opinion, because of social media and the way society is built and expectations. And they don't get to be children for as long as as they could be. So that's something that's close to my heart, letting children be children everywhere in the world. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no real comparison to be had or no rationale, really, for even, I suppose, justifying this question. It's just a, a personal curiosity, really, be based on, you know, somebody from your own insights and your own experience. Would you say that our children in the West grow quicker or that's the wrong way to or forced to grow quicker than their, you know, their um, their peers in Africa, for example? I mean, obviously, totally, I assume, I don't know, but totally different cultures, dynamics. I mean, try and give us an insight into you know, the big difference, if there are any differences between how how children grow up in, in say, you know, the UK or, or Europe generally, the West, as you say, um, and then Africa. Is there a, a big gap between the two in terms of uh, the children? I see it as many similarities and many differences. So, for example, here in the Western world, I see many children growing up in a way that's that doesn't feel authentic to me they they're wearing clothes that I would 
think that someone of a, of a higher age would be wearing. I mean, we have seven, eight and nine year olds wearing clothes that people who were 15, 16 or even 20 wore when, when I was that age. So it's for them, it's like growing up on the surface, like a surface level growing up. And they're still in many ways like immature. But in, in third world countries, or at least in Kenya, from what I've seen, children have to take real responsibility. Like watch your younger siblings or they will get kidnapped or they will get hurt or they will die. It's real life, it's real consequences. We have 12 year olds um, selling their bodies so that they can get a few coins to feed their younger siblings. So they grow up in, in a very different way. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's, it's a very, very stark and alarming, but it, actually on a sort of rational level, on an irrational level, it makes sense, uh, if it can make sense at all. So with that then, I mean, begs the question being, where are the parents of, um, of these African kids? Where, where are they? Why, why the pressure, the responsibility of the, um, you know, the siblings? Why? Part of it is is cultural. Many many African families, and again, this is all just my experience. Many African families have many children, and it's difficult for for the parents to look after all of them, or they need the older siblings to look after them so that they can go work. Where where I spend most of my time is in the forgotten slums outside Nairobi, where there's a high rate of prostitution. Many, many of the women who live there come from middle-class families where they have had a husband, but they contract HIV. And when their husbands find out that their wives are sick, they abuse them and kick them out. So the, the women are left taking the children to the only place where they can afford to live, which is in the slums. So many, many, I said most of the families in the slums are single parent households. And many of them turn to prostitution to be able to feed their children. And therefore, they're gone. So the older siblings need to take over. So when... When the, as you, you painted the picture there of the, the middle class scenario and the women contracting HIV um, or, or you know, all, the, all the diseases, all the illnesses and the husbands kick them out, um, are they, is that as a result of, of, of um, bringing in extra income through prostitution, for example? I mean, if they're in this your nice, warm, secure um, environment, why would they do that? You know, you've used the word middle class. That suggests to me that the pressure's off. Or am I misreading that? Am I mishearing that? Mm -hmm. Most cases, the husband brings home the disease. Right, okay. So the husband has other women on the side, infects the wife, and then blames her. Got you, okay. Right, so very backwards situation so the wife is punished for something that she had no control over and is it part of the culture there be that actually the 
and, and I'm playing devil, devil's advocate here, listeners, so please bear with me on this, that the women are more submissive and they're not allowed to challenge their husbands when he has the audacity to blame her for something that's his fault. Is it part of the culture that, you know, women, you don't, you don't question, you just do, you do as you're told. Is, is that, or, you know, am I assuming too wrong with it? No, you're, you're absolutely right. The women rarely have a say. There are very powerful women and, and there are powerful women, but where they are able to use their power is with, with other women. So rarely when it comes to men and the women who are successful um, business women or, you know, high, high up in society usually have a husband who is also very high up in society. Mm. I've noticed for myself coming as a Caucasian woman from the Western world, I'm, I'm treated poorly. Um, because I'm a woman and when I've brought a man because I bring volunteers every now and then my dad has come multiple times and I've had other um, male volunteers anytime I go to interact with someone they turn to the man to ask questions or like they just completely bypass me even though I'm the one who's running the whole project, I'm the one, I'm the one with the money, I'm the one with the knowledge, I'm the one with the say-so, and they still turn to the only man in the group, if there is a man in the group. Wow. Mm. Pause for thought on that one. Pause for thought. So in terms of the work that you do then for sponsors for Kenya B, what you know, tell what is that? Tell us a bit about that. Well, Sponsors for Kenya, I founded that eight years ago after a brief volunteer trip to Kenya. And I fell in love with the country. And I especially saw how much could be done with very small means. So I worked with a nonprofit, an NGO, a local NGO that I felt were doing a really great job of supporting the families and educating the children in the slums. So I started partnering with them and decided to build a school and an orphanage away from the slums so that the children could go there and essentially be boarding boarding students. So I have a boarding school. So in normal times when it's not COVID, we have a day in boarding school with around 200 students and about 20 staff members, and it's a huge, huge production. And um, we've been up and running, the school's been up and running since 2015, and the boarding school since 2017. So it, it educates children, and our social workers also work with the parents, those, those who have parents, not all of them do, but they are also supported, so their children are away at school, which means that a lot of the financial burden is taken off of them so that they can get back on their feet. They're able to pay rent. They're able to buy food for the younger siblings and really improve their, their life. Thanks to the kids being, being away at school. Mm. I mean, what's fascinating for me listening to this is, 
and, I, and I'm, yeah, again, I want to play devil's advocate here. What would you say be to people that say, and I've had this, I mean, if I had a euro for every time I had had this said to me, boy, would I be a rich man. And that saying is charity starts at home. So what's a woman from the West, a white woman from the West, going into the heart of deprivation in Africa against this totally, totally polarized cultural scenario and making a monumental difference? I mean, you've kind of alluded to why, you know, how you, you understood when you first went there, being that, you, you know, with very little, you could make a big difference. So just indulge me a little, if you will, to try and answer that question, as I say, that's been put to me personally. Uh, it may have been put to you about charity starts at home first. Aren't there needy cases in Sweden, you know, the Western world, the UK, wherever? What would be your answer to that be? My answer to that would be choose what you're passionate about and work towards that. I could absolutely work with homeless people in Stockholm or saving the whales or helping turtles somewhere or being a climate change activist. But what I'm passionate about is something where I can help hands-on. I'm passionate about children and Africa has always been on my mind since I was a very small child. And had I not had my passion for that, I would not have had it go this well. And I wouldn't have the, the energy to keep going for this long. So I trust that there are many, many people out there in the world who are passionate about different things. And I think people do their best work where there's passion. Mm. So that's, that's my answer. Okay. Would you say... Yeah, again, B, it's more than a passion. Would you call it a vocation, a calling? Because this is totally selfless, dedicated. For me, and it's just my humble opinion, but it's beyond passion. I think passion's the kind of foundation that you start with. But this is so much more, isn't it? You know, this calling, this, I, I don't know. Sometimes when, when people are doing monumental acts in the world, I find it difficult just to, almost insulting to throw a word at it that attempts to describe, but that word is vocation. I mean, do, what's your thoughts around that? Is it a calling? Is it a vocation? Is it a labour of love? All these terms, is it any of those, or would you simply define it as a passion? I think it, it's definitely a vocation. It's absolutely more than a passion. It started with a passion, and that's the thing with your previous question as well. If it's, you need to have the passion, but then when that runs out, so with the vocation, for me, it, the work that I do has so much of a bigger meaning. And even when I'm tired of it and I feel like just handing everything over to someone else, I can remind myself of why I do it. And I'm good at what I do. I've done it for a very long time. I'm successful at it. I like what I do most of the time. So there are multiple layers to it, multiple factors. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've said this, listeners, it's hopefully you're getting an essence of what's really, really unfolding here with this, this totally selfless, this, 
I don't know, yet again, words fail me, which is not, not very good, actually, for a podcast host, is it, when he or she can't throw words around to describe a situation. But that is, I think that's a good thing, because I think what that really does is reinforces the emotion, and as B calls it, the passion. But it's, as you know, as we both agree, it's way beyond that. So in terms of sort of what plans you've got for the future, B, what, what does that look like? I mean, you know... To say you're doing admirable work, I'm I'm struggling with words again. You know, to to encompass this this power, this this whole thing that you're doing. But what's the plan to expand? Is there an expansion plan, or is this kind of busting at the seams already? There's definitely an expansion plan. We last Monday we closed on another three acres of land, so. That, that will be entirely dedicated to forestry and farming. So we are, we are expanding Kiyotani Day and Boarding School. My personal plan is to not be needed. So my ultimate goal is for them to be 100% self-sustained so that they won't need any outside funding. That would be, that's such a dream to me. So every year I work towards them being more and more self-sustained with farming and, and other activities. So basically, once, I've, once I'm not needed anymore, I've reached my goal and then I can retire. So is there a strategy in place to make that happen then or is that done more on a, on a hope or a bit of both? Oh, no, no, definitely strategy. I hope is a hope is great, but hope does not get you to where you want to be, in my opinion. Hmm. So, um, already when we purchased our first piece of land in 2012, we started preparing it for farming. So, and farming is is a great source of income because we have a well, so we have our own reliable water source which is very unusual in Kenya, especially where we are, where it's out in the countryside. And um, because we have that water source, we're able to grow most of our own food. My, my plan is that in, within a couple of years, we will either grow all of our own food or grow enough to be able to purchase the things that we can't grow with the excess from the farms. We're starting to plant more trees to have firewood and fence posts and all these things. Mm, fascinating. So it's a large scale project then, Bees. I mean, this is what well, we've already identified listeners are we not that this is not some kind of uh how can i put it mini scale project that might be affecting one or two people i mean we're talking a whole village here i mean you know you've already mentioned the numbers of 200 students and 20 staff in the school you know and obviously the boarding element of that just give us a snapshot of if you will be some of the kind of or the is, is there any diversity in terms of the students um, you know, what, um, you know, give, give us a snapshot of, dare I say, a typical student, just so we can get a feel of, of what's going off here. So the typical student, let's see, 
they have spent their entire lives in the slum, typically from single parent household or a single caregiver household. So often a grandmother who cares for them. They have, before they come to Kiyotani, they've had probably one meal a day for their entire lives thus far. They've had maybe a year or two of schooling. And most children are several years behind where they should be or could be if they had access to an education. Many of the children, I'd say most of them are malnourished and also just starving for education and play and security and fun and just being able to be kids. The typical student. Okay, yeah, so it's, you know, hmm. It's desperate measures stuff, isn't it? It really is desperate measures. You know, this is not a pretty picture. I know it's it's a true picture. And, you know, we I think we're so comfortable, generally speaking, obviously we have our own set of challenges as, as a people in, in the West. But this this kind of scenario, this picture that you painted, I mean, it, it's horrendous, isn't it? It's absolutely horrendous. We used the word, well, I used the word earlier, the H word, hope. I mean, where do these kids, I mean, is that something that even they're vaguely familiar? Is, is that in their hearts or, I mean, from a very early age? I mean, are they resilient from birth because of what they're, you know, generally coming into? Or are they just full of despair because, I mean, you know, what what are they used to? What What's... What's the world through the eyes of a, of a child there in terms of the context of this, this hope? Give us an insight into that, Lee, if you will. They're, they're used to it. This is their life. Mm. They, they have known nothing else. And these children, when you go visit the slums, they're running around happy, cheerful, playing with each other. They're running around barefoot where there are shards of glass and sharp metal objects. And they're happy because they don't know any different. So it's, it's fascinating to see the joy in the slums. We've also noticed that with the older children, those who are around 14, 15 and older, some actually are homesick after they come to Kiyotani and they have their own bed and five hot meals a day and school and friends and everything. They, they are homesick which I find really interesting, but that's that's how it is. So how can people help? Because I know from our previous conversations, you've got several initiatives, haven't you, where people can support. I know you've got a a corporate sponsor, but there's more kind of humble ways, if that's even the right word, where people can get involved and and, and support these young people in uh, in Kenya. Just give us an insight yet again, into some of those uh, those options. Mm-hmm. So there are there are many options to help uh, at all levels. I mean, financial car- financial contributions are of course the most helpful, and I like to focus mainly on contributions that move us or move Kiyotani towards being self sustained. So, for example, we have. 
a PayPal link for $3 a month, where it's a recurring donation where you donate $3 a month. And that with that money, we plant three trees at Kiyotani every month. So for $3 a month, you can plant 30, 36 trees every year at Kiyotani, which will make a huge difference. So we have papaya trees, we have eucalyptus trees and Another another way to sponsor, which many people prefer, is to sponsor an individual child. And that's $65 a month. And that provides everything for that child. So housing, food, education, school uniform, books, everything that they need for the whole year. And then you also you also get information on this child, where, where they come from, what's their background, what's their family situation like, how old are they? And then a few times a year, you will receive a letter and photo from the child. And at the end of the year, you also get their report card and just updates on how they're doing. So those are some ways, and those are all recurring donations. And then, some people prefer to do one-off donations and then I usually choose or have them choose if they want to something that they are passionate about, like buying a goat, for example, or planting 50 trees in honor of someone who has passed or something like that. Mm, okay. Let me ask you, B. so say if someone was to sponsor a child does that not does that not create a bit of resentment amongst that peers uh, that child's peers because he or she all of a sudden has got a um, a perceived maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm completely wrong on this but a perceived better more privileged way of life and you know or is that not the case? I'm sure it is sometimes. The, my experience with, with the children who have approached me is that they come and say, can I please be next? I would like to go to school. I would like to come to Kiyotani because they've heard about Kiyotani. So what I've seen is that it, it brings hope to these children that, oh, there's a way that I can actually get out of here. Mm. And I could get to go to school and wear a pretty uniform. And, you know, they don't, they can't probably can't grasp the what what it is that they would be receiving like for them it's going to school and getting a uniform because that's what they can see in their friends wow what a phenomenal story what an absolutely phenomenal story listeners i don't know what your thoughts about are about hearing this but certainly in this conversation that i've, I've just had and obviously i've been privy to having not much but a slight insight behind the scenes because V and I have spoke off air um, very briefly so but it's I just think it's amazing I think it's amazing specifically for the work that's given and no apologies for keep using this hope word but that ray of hope in a world that's often dark and I just think the world is just crying out for it and, and the selfless compassionate love of people like V I mean yeah, again, words fail. Words fail. There is no, there are no words to describe that. You know, I know the world has its challenges at the moment. The world's always had its challenges and probably always will. 
But doesn't it give you hope, listeners? Does it give you heart when you hear stories about this and using that phrase again, these selfish, compassionate, loving people like me that are doing this work? I mean, it's just, well, I really don't know what to say. B, I'm just, I'm just so amazed and in, in gratitude for what you're doing for these, for these young people in Kenya on a personal level. And it's been an absolute privilege and honour to have you on as a guest to you know to be able to talk about your invaluable work so uh well last word i'm going to ask you for your contact details so how listeners can get in touch with you and they'll be in the show notes as ever um so yeah and in fact give us give us your contact details and people might be able to look at your website bill or whatever you deem appropriate and then i'm going to ask you one final question as we sign off Hey, thank you so much, Paul. It's it's truly been a pleasure to connect with you and share about our kids, all our little ones. If you would like to learn more about us, we are sponsors for Kenya on both Facebook and Instagram. That's where you get the most current updates. And you can also visit our website. It's uh, sponsorsforkenya.org. And um, you can also send us an email. All the information is on the website. It's sponsorsforkenya at gmail.com. And I'm always the one responding. So you can send any questions. Or if you're curious about something, I'm more than happy to connect with all of you. Thank you for listening. Beautiful. So my final, well, it's actually not a question, B. It's not a question. I'm going to use four simple words. Well, I think they're simple words. Messages for our children. If I was to say to you, B, so four simple words, messages for our children. And that could be your interpretation, whether that's your own child or children or whether, the, you know, these, these young people in, uh, in Kenya, in Africa. In one minute, what would be your message or your messages be? Mm. Be yourself. Always be yourself. Don't compromise yourself for, to fit in or to have other people be comfortable around you. Always be yourself. Follow, follow your passion. Do what you, what drives you, that thing that you want to strive for. Be kind, but most of all, just follow your passion. Follow your passion and you're loved. And I think it's fair to say, B, I mean, in terms of leading the way for that and leading by example, boy, are you doing that. Are you in a massive, massively abundant way. So, so there we have it, listeners, an amazing lady, my B. Bowman from Sweden. And all that remains now, as ever, is to sign off by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Beautiful. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www 
paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 